Welcome to Challenging Christianity. I'm your host, Rebecca Kinnestrand. Do you consider yourself spiritual but non-religious? Agnostic. Or maybe you grew up in a church but don't believe what you were taught there anymore. This podcast exists in that space between all-in or all-out religion. Join us in asking questions that challenge the notions of Christianity. Welcome to Challenging Christianity. It's Rebecca Kinnestrand and Daniel Dadashi is here. And today we have Becky Cole in-house to talk about children's ministry. There's a funny word, ministry. Okay. so I know it's one about... of those words I use all the time as though it's a normal word. And then Do not. I'm reminded that it is not a normal word, that it is weird and people don't know what it means. Yeah. Well, and then put children in churchy. front of it. And, and put children in front of it and it's even worse. It's churchy. It's full so, on churchy. So Becky, how would you, so if someone were to say, well, what is children's ministry then? How would, how would you describe it? Children's, uh, I, see, I, it's, it's never just the children for me, right? Because I do birth to sixth grade. So for me, it's all about the families because without the families, I would have no children's ministry. No child that's two years old is going to wander into church by themselves, right? <laughs> yeah. So for me, it's all about the relationships that I facilitate between families and between kids with each other, right? That's that's mm. that's what it is. And then I, I share with them God's inclusive love, right? God loves you no matter what. Even, you know, how sometimes as parents we say things like, I wish you wouldn't do that, or I get so mad when you do that. And what I try to teach them is that, yes, your parents get mad, but God still loves you anyways, and God doesn't really get mad at you. He might wish you made a different choice, but that's about it. <laughs> I think I wish that my kids made different choices. Yeah. Yeah. I, we talk a lot on the podcast about this, about churchy terms and alienation, particularly with younger people towards the church. Um, I think that having children often brings people back around because it kind of um, people who may have left uh, some sort of religious affiliation. Then they have kids and like, well, you know, maybe some of it's okay and maybe they church shop to try to find what fits their philosophy and what do you say to people who have are spiritual not religious and they have kids and they're searching for what they can do to bring that philosophy into the children's lives but they're worried about the churchiness of church you know what i'm saying yeah, um, and this may not answer your question, but conversations that I've had with, I'll just use the word visitors to Holy Spirit, right? Because mm -hmm. that's the, sometimes I don't know if they're churchy or not. And so we just talk about how um, we're all made to be in relationship with each other. And so one of the places that's really intentionally intergenerational, at least for the most part, is church. Other than that, it's really sporting events, right? When you're a spectator at a sporting mm. event, it's intergenerational. But nowhere else do you go are there people of all sizes that sit in the same place, right? Mm. So that's one thing I talk about is that. The second thing mm -hmm. I talk about is how at Holy Spirit specifically, we are just an inclusive congregation. And so my main message for the littlest of the littles, which is usually the people that are asking me, is about um, that, that God, is, God is love, right? So God, 
God made us to love. God loves us. We are to be the light in the world and help share that love with others. And so whatever that looks like for your family, like there's no, the good news is there's no guidebook for that, right? (laughs) I mean, there's the Bible, but there's no like checklist like there is for school. My kid must recite the ABCs. My kid must be able to count to a hundred. My kid must be able, there's none of that. Right. So you don't have, because I had to learn catechisms because I was Catholic. I had to learn things like that. I had to learn the Lord's Prayer. I had to learn certain things and I had to recite them back. Do you do that kind of thing or no? We recite things in a group because all kids are different. We have kids in our our ministry. There's that word. There's that crazy word (laughs) in our programming. Program. Um, Program. In our programming (laughs) um, that are dyslexic or that have dysgraphia or that are so shy they do not want to speak to someone that they don't know. And so we... We might ask kids if they would like to read aloud or say something, but we never, in a big group, call on them, Mm -hmm. right? So we might, like, sometimes when we go to small groups, if it's three or four kids, we might say, we're going to take, everyone's going to take a turn. If you don't want to do it, just say pass. Mm -hmm. And then they can just pass, right? Then they're Mm -hmm. done. So we never make a kid stand up in front and recite anything by themselves because that is super intimidating, yeah. yeah. And I That's don't a- ever want a kid to feel like they shouldn't because what if they what if I make a mistake? It's not about that. Yeah. It's I I realized we, we don't forgot to introduce you, Becky. Do you want to introduce <laughs> who you are? I would just was like, tell us about children's ministry and you're you're kind of a big deal and I want people to know the big deal that you are and why we're talking to you specifically about this. So please go ahead. Okay, well, everyone says I'm a big deal, but I don't really feel like I'm a big deal. So let's just try this. Um, I'm Becky Cole, and I uh, am the Children's Ministry Director at Holy Spirit Lutheran Church in Kirkland, Washington. I am married to my husband, Chris. We've been married for almost 19 years. Congrats. And we have two uh, two teenage sons. I have a 13-year-old and a 15-year-old. So we are thick into the... Um, learning how to drive as a 15-year-old at our house, and then into the whole, um, you know, teen boys. So lots of that at my house, lots of testosterone at my house. Um, I've been on staff at Holy Spirit for 13 and a half years. Before that, I was I was a member at Holy Spirit. I've been a member since, I think, 1999. Hmm. That's going to tell you how young I am. I'm with Danielle. I'm, I'm a teenager, really. Still, I'm a teenager. Right. Um, Danielle's line, I'm stealing it. Um, I also um, serve... Um, on the Synod, again, another churchy word, the yeah, Synod yeah. Uh, Children, Youth, and Family Committee. Um, I'm on that. Um, I'm also on the learning team for the ELCA Youth Ministry Network Conference. It's an annual conference. I'm on the learning team for that. And I just finished up six years um, as a board member for the ELCA Youth Ministry Network. So um, completed two terms, which is the maximum you can serve consecutively. And so I just uh, finished that up uh, just a week ago, actually. And what was your role on the board by any chance? Oh, I was the secretary for... um, five years and then I was the chairperson this last year. She's making it sound If you go search you can find a state of if you if if you go search you can find my state of the network address on which Danielle I should ask you if you watched it yet. She's she's the Danielle did you watch it? I watched it the state of the network is strong. Um Becky is 
so she says that she is the chair of the ELCA Youth Ministry Network, which is a national thing. 1,800 youth workers, professional from all over the country, have attended a conference. She's the chair of the whole committee, the, the board of the whole the whole country. She does a lot of work. She's a big name in in youth ministry, in children's ministry and youth ministry. She's nice. got an MBA. She's got a perf- she's got a certificate in children's and family studies. She's a big deal. She'll this pretend is, she is. This is why she's, she's on our podcast, people. <laughs> So um, this is how you know you're a big deal is when the executive director of the ELCA Youth Ministry Network calls you or sends you an email and says, we need some children's ministry people. Who do you recommend as a children's ministry person? When they ask you for recommendations, then you start to realize that you do have a little more power than you thought. (laughs) And you've worked worked, like tirelessly in the in the field. So. I I think that's awesome. I'm so glad that we have you as a as a resource to talk about this. Um, you know, I think for our listeners, you know, some they they come from all over, but you know, we try to cater to those people who are potentially on the non-religious side. And I would imagine that their thoughts and I had know this from people I've talked to are about indoctrination. And isn't it better for children to decide on their own what kind of religion they're going to be when they're older? They can research that on their own. They can come to that on their own. Um, If you tell children early on, aren't you just indoctrinating them into what you think? And, you know, this whole free will business. (laughs) Can you kind of talk, talk to that and how you see that playing into children's programming, let's say? Uh, that's a really actual good question. Um, so I tend to view religion, um, I'll just do it from my perspective as the mother of two children. How's that? Um, I, it's one of our, it's one of our values, our family values is going to church. So, um, for us, that's why we do it. Now, there are many people that don't go to church. And so that is, that's fine. They, but they still, we still send our kids to schools or we have our kids play certain sports because that's what as adults we know or we like. We read certain books. All of the things are influencing our kids. And the same is held for religion, whatever that is for you or not for you. And yes, kids can choose, but if we don't ever give them the choices, then they don't know that those options are available to them. And a, a good a good analogy that I like to use is sports, right? When my kids were little, we started with soccer because it's something anyone can play at any age. And as they grew up, they got some of their own interests, baseball, for example, so we let them try baseball. Well, one winter we said, let's try skiing. And they were like, oh, I didn't know I could try skiing, right? So if I had never introduced them to it, then they would have never known that was an option. And so that is can be held, can be done similarly for religion. So we have friends who are Jewish and so we have done some of the Jewish traditions with them. Again, we're still Lutheran, but I'm exposing them to that. My kids can choose at some point, yes, but if I don't as a parent introduce them to different things, they're never going to know. Like it's like your 2-year-old you say- who doesn't want to eat their vegetables. You still give them vegetables. Sure. 
I understand that. I would, I'm, I'll play a little devil's advocate and say, okay, well then why don't they take world religions class in eighth grade and, you know. Yeah, why don't they? That's a good, that's fair. I mean, I Yeah, well, why do you need them in a preschool, you know, program or a children's ministry program at your church? And, you know, I'm just, I'm just saying that, you know, the idea is like, oh, just have them study world religions and, and run with that when they're older. So why do children's ministry? And maybe that's the bigger question. Yeah, maybe, maybe that's Maybe it. that is the bigger question. I think that kids learn at a different level than adults. Not all kids, but younger kids mm-hmm. specifically learn at a different mm-hmm. level than adults. Also, many kids are active learners, um, kinesthetic learners, visual learners, Many times a worship service doesn't have as much of those components, but I can put that into a children's ministry program, right? Mm -hmm. So we can learn about the walls of Jericho by building Mm -hmm. walls and then knocking them down, Mm -hmm. right? Yeah. So we provide a different way for kids to interact with that story. Another thing that you can do is take an old story, what they perceive as an old story, and you can turn it into how does it relate today. So we take an old story and make it something that is today. A good example of that would be uh, pick a New Testament story. I'll just pick, I'll pick uh, Jesus heals, right? So lots of people ask about that. How did miracles really happen? Well, the fact of the matter is often in the first century, you can find um, lots of documentation on people that did rain dances and it would rain, right? So there's some talk that potentially there was some kind of miracles in the first century when Jesus was alive. So how does that translate to today, right? So Jesus healed people. Well, who heals people today? We have doctors, we have nurses, we have EMTs, we have, we have all the people, surgeons, all the people, right? Mm-hmm. Those people in their own way are doing a little bit of a miracle when they do a surgery or they fix someone or you, they make you better. Epidemiology, vaccinations, right? Exactly. (laughs) All the things, right? right? So those stories still happen today, just in a different way. Right. And Mm -hmm. so trying to take these stories and make them relatable so that kids don't just see that this happened a long time ago is also Mm -hmm. a way that we do that in children's ministry. And we take their ideas for that. So another, you know, if you take an Old Testament story, right, there's the wandering in the wilderness for 40 years, right? Well, what kind of wilderness, we talked about this quite a bit in, in some of our programming when I was doing weekly calls with the kids right after COVID-19 started. So last April, May, they had a lot, we had a lot of conversation about how this was kind of our own wilderness. Like we didn't really know what was coming we didn't mm. know how long it was going to last. And right. we didn't, we, we had a lot of questions and just like the Israelites did when they wandered in the wilderness 40 for 40 years, we, we all said, can mm. this not last for 40 years? Like, at the, at the right. time, one of one of the fourth graders was like, can this not last for 40 weeks? And I was like, yeah, let's hope it doesn't last 40 weeks. And now look where we are. Here but we are. Here we are. Yeah. Mm-hmm. As we digress. Um, so know, we just try to make stories that are old into not old. You know, one of the things that really resonated with me, what you just said when you were talking about indoctrination was the idea of the, the books that you share with your kids. And I think a lot about, you know, as you're raising a kid, 
maybe you're looking at this and you think it's really important to be involved in social justice work and the work of anti-racism. And so you're sharing with your young kids books that are Coretta Scott King award winning books. Maybe you also really value um, science. So you're sharing science books with your kids and you're cultivating a passion for the things that you're passionate about, the things that you think are important to you. And if faith life is important to you, it's one of those values that you hold, you're imparting that on your kid. It's not about indoctrination. It's about teaching them the values and things that are important to you. I mean, I suppose mm-hmm. in, a, in a, you could say in a more balanced world, should I teach my kid all, all sides of an issue that I, that, that I feel passionate about? Probably. Would I spend equal time talking about anti-racism along with white supremacy as an idea so that they can make their own choice? I don't think I would do that. It's a yeah. bit of a false equivalency, but at a certain yeah. point, we're, we're conveying our values, the things we care about, the things we value to our kids. And part of that is just, you know, we're not teachers. We share our lives and with our kids. And as they grow up developmentally, when they become teenagers, they start to see themselves as independent of the family and they start to decide for themselves, who am I outside of my family structure? Yeah, I mean, obviously, you know, my question was very, um, you know, a little bit devil's advocate. I don't think that children Mm -hmm. grow up in a vacuum, right? I mean, Mm -hmm. you're obviously part of a family unit, whatever that is that imparts. There's another aspect to me when, as we were talking, that came to me that the history is super important. Just understanding Christianity, it, the books, the the stories, you know, some basic knowledge of the Judeo-Christian history, because our entire country is founded on that, and a lot of parts of the world are founded on that. And I find that, you know, there are references up, down, left, and sideways. And to be able to, to just have that as a part of your education, I think is a super important facet as well. You know, Becky, you are often, Rebecca kind of mentioned this earlier, the idea of people coming to church when they have kids, Uh, but kind of the old, you know, you take a little break and then kids, people have kids, they often are looking for a church space. And so I feel like a lot of families that are looking for a church home come to you and ask you questions about your programming, what, what you provide. What do you find that they're looking for or worried about either theologically programming? What are families searching for in your experience? I think the general theme, um, specifically families of younger children are looking for community. I think um, we historically have spent time in our houses. There's people I talk to that don't know who their neighbors are. And when they have kids, they want their kids to grow up with people who have kids, right? So where can we find families who have kids of similar ages? Um, Also, when they come to church, they're often looking for people who have similar values. So like, if you're going to come into a place, you want to know that they're not necessarily going to go against what your family believes. So if your family thinks that all people should be included, no matter of their ability or anything else, then you're going to perceive that the people that are also there have that same belief, right? So lots of times people come with community and they they may do none of the programming on Sunday mornings and they may go to worship as a family, but yet they come to, uh, a vacation Bible school in the summer, or they come to 
a Friday, we sometimes do game nights on Friday nights. And mm-hmm. so they might come to a game night on Friday night because it's seen as a very community building, non-religious, right? Because we don't really, we pray, but we just, otherwise we just have fun and we have relationships. So a lot of what people are looking for is that when they first start coming and they have young children. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. I didn't have any of that. I mean, I don't, when we grew up, it was like you go to you go to mass on Sunday and you do your things, your CCD classes, or you're in Catholic school, and there wasn't any community around it, really. And I very much missed that. Is um, I didn't really even know that happened. <laughs> and then I go to these other churches, and they're like, "Oh yeah, there's a pizza night and a this and that," and I'm like, "Really? You know? Okay, that sounds fun. Okay, I'll do that." I think it's a concern um, for parents. To some degree, I wonder whether what they are looking for, you know, is it just the child care piece? Um, I'm, sur- I'm sure you do surveys, Becky, to figure out, you know, what's the best programming to put out there, what people liked before, and how do you assess what what is working and what isn't, for example? Um, so I I was probably two or three years. Time has no meaning right now because I feel like I've lost a whole year with COVID, but whatever. Um, I feel like two or three years ago, but it might be longer than that. We did a, a small group and I invited different people on a Sunday morning to, to join us. And then I also sent out some surveys to people that were at their houses. And I just, you know, what are some things that we're doing that you like? And what are some things that you wish we could change? Like those are often my two questions, no matter if you're a parent or you're a volunteer or what our kids even, I even ask that like the fourth, fifth and sixth graders. Sometimes we even do a quick, like at the end of a year, we ask them like, what do we do this year that you loved? What do you wish we could do differently? And you just get two open-ended questions and you just have to take none of it personally. But if one person says something that they would like to see changed, then there's likely more people that are thinking that they just don't know who to say, or they don't want to say it to hurt your feelings. Mm-hmm. And so I'm always, and you, Danielle can attest to this. I'm always the first person to say like, okay, how did, like, how did today go? And what do you want to, what, what do we need to do different tomorrow? If anything. Right. And that's, I, that's no different for families. Right. So if somebody has a really good idea, then let's try it. Like the worst we can do is do it once and it, fails miserably and we never do it again um (laughs) and that's okay because then we still tried it and we know what the results are what i don't like is when we get in the habit of just doing something because we've always done it that way those are the words that i just cringe at because if there's if you can't articulate why you want to keep doing it then then i don't really know what we're doing (laughs) I think what you're saying is super important because, and the reason I kind of asked the question is because I think that there are places that if you're shopping around or you're looking or you're wondering about this, they're going to have their set thing and that's what they're going to teach. And they're going to teach it that way. And they're going to tell people to teach it that way. And there's going to be, you know, something that's just a little bit rigid. So, you know, that might work for you. That might be exactly what you want, but, you know, just to recognize that there are, are other programs and places out there that are going to have, you know, more flexibility around that and a little bit more interchange and interplay. To pivot a little bit, I wanted to talk a little bit about how do you talk to small people about really big questions? Because in the end, religion is kind of about the why of existence, not so much the how, but more the why. 
And I find that even the smallest of kids will, you know, obviously why comes out of their mouth constantly. But um, <laughs> as they grow just a little bit, it's like, well, how do you say, why is there suffering? Why would, why did that child die? Why did that bird die? Why, why? How do you answer that? Dying is a really popular topic that kids want to know a lot about, as do parents. And dying is hard. I'll just be honest. Um, I am a firm believer in what Danielle said earlier, and that is books are a great way to talk about a subject in a non-threatening manner. So in my... if, you, if we were to go to my office, there is like a whole bookshelf of just kids' books. Okay, it's like two shelves now about different topics. And dying is one of them because kids and families need a book and a way to talk about it because kids don't necessarily know what questions to ask except about why did something die? Pick, my, why did they my have, dog they, die? They That's a identify, one. Why did my like pet die? dog die? Yeah, they can't yeah. identify the feelings so no. much. I know when I ask my kids, well, what's wrong or what What are you feeling? And they just can be like, sad. You know, they don't mm-hmm. have the range yeah. of vocabulary. Right. And then, and then when people say, well, it's okay, you'll see them again someday. And then the kids come to church and they want to see them because, well, they died, but now they're, but now they'll be at church, right? Because it's someday. Mm-hmm. No, mm-hmm. like it doesn't, like, so those are hard, big questions. And so what I try to do is to try to figure out, like, are you missing the person? Okay, well, missing a person is okay. Like, we miss people all the time. And we, if you have pictures of the people, right, or the pet, whatever it is that's missing, then that helps to fill that gap. Um, but why do they die? And we just talk about, like, how... Why do they like, live? Why do we live? Why do we live? Right. But we talk about like the whole life cycle. Like most kids have seen plants grow and plants die, right? Like that's a pretty common thing they see through a a full year in the Pacific Northwest is things live and then things die and then things live again, right? So we talk about how that is for everything. Everything lives and then at some point everything dies and some things die when they are old because our bodies just wear out Mm -hmm. and some things some people die when they are young and that is really sad and we don't always know why that happens that's my that's my for the youngest people sometimes I don't know why they died why did why did someone that's really young get really sick and die I don't know why I I don't Mm -hmm. and we talk about we don't there's no way for anybody to know everything and it's okay to sometimes not know Mm-hmm. Um, I've had people that have I've encouraged kids to write letters um, of, of their to, to whoever died um, and give it to their parents and then that helps them sometimes start a conversation about what they're really missing because it might be that they're missing maybe they spent the night at grandma's house right and now grandma died and now they want to they want to see grandma and they want to spend the night well is there is there an aunt or an uncle that they can spend the night with or a cousin or is that can they start a new tradition to help to help with some of that grief? Mm-hmm. Yeah, coming back around to that community, like community is, uh, you know, so important to answer that why. I'm not saying that we have an answer as adults mm-hmm. as to why do we exist, right? That's a huge philosophical question, but it's definitely, if you're, I know when 
it came around to, okay, what are we to do with the children? I grew up Catholic. My husband is Swedish, so he's by default Lutheran. You know, just um, <laughs> what do we what are we doing here? And I wasn't really just willing to plop them into the church that's closest nearby because I didn't have the greatest experience. And um, I think it's super important to find a place that really aligns with your philosophy, really look into the um, theology that is at a church and what the children's programs are. I, I am going to go out and on a limb here and say, I do think that some churches kind of pull people in with their children's programming Mm -hmm. and they make it super spectacular and you can drop your kids off and not think about them all day. And they're really engaged and having fun and so on, but maybe their theology in that church isn't really what you're wanting, isn't maybe aligned with what you're thinking so just a word of caution. <laughs> well, it also, it makes me think, you know, with your example of, of a kid coming in and saying, I'm sad because grandma died or a parent saying they lost a pet and you having a full conversation with them. I think about a five and six year old and what other community other than just their parents would they have to talk about that in? You bring that up in right. a kindergarten class. A teacher doesn't have the time or resources to answer a question. In some cases, they're not al- allowed to answer right. some of these questions. And to have a community where you can go, to where your kid can ask questions, and even if they don't get answers, to really think about these things that you're you're not going to talk about anywhere else, that a kid doesn't have the opportunity to hear about in other places. It's important. Now, now Becky, I wanted to ask point. you a question that I should know the answer to, but I don't. I sometimes <laughs> see things. I look at Becky's face is like, oh, <laughs> what? Uh-oh. <laughs> at, at children's and youth ministry things. I don't pay as close attention to this thing. So it doesn't fall into my ministry, but it does in yours. I see this, <laughs> this kind of theme emerging of, of killing Sunday school is the, mm-hmm. the phrase that's used. Like, Rebecca looks shocked and Becky looks like, yep, heard it a million times. Okay, so there's a whole book about this, it. There's What does this mean? What is killing Sunday what school? Is that? And why is it popular in children's ministry circles? Um, so there's a lot of talk about um, the one hour a week that kids spend in Sunday school isn't enough. And so therefore we should just not do it. And church should be more intergenerational and kids should feel more welcome and kids should be more involved in the actual service and not just passive. Okay. So that's what it's a lot about is intergenerational. And um, so what would that look like practically? Would that mean a worship service designed for adults and kids and then additional children's only ministry or additional children and family ministry? What, what would the, that look like? So it looks different depending on your congregation. So okay. smaller congregations, they're going to more family-oriented family ministry um, where, where things are done just as a family of all ages. Other churches are doing still some children's programming, middle school programming, high school programming, but then they're also on Sunday mornings doing just intergenerational worship where everybody is in worship together and we don't have all of the kids in their own like silos, so to speak, where we don't have just the, you know, kindergarten to third graders are here and then the 
fourth and fifth graders are here, middle school kids are here, and high school kids are that just all goes away and everyone just spends it all together. It it's it, it has its pros and cons, right? So it goes back to what I said. It it for me it depends on who's doing the preaching because sometimes a Bible story for adults needs to have that more uh, high level and more of the gray kind of figuring things out. What we have to remember is developmentally, at least children are black and white, right? So if you say, going back to our just example. In their thinking. Yeah, in their thinking. And so they're black or they're white in their thinking. So they're yes or no. They're it's A or it's B. There's no gray in gray space in between where they don't where they can come up with the concept on their own, kind of like you were talking about, Rebecca, earlier. I believe children's programming helps with some of that. But there are also some services, some worship services, where it's a much more interactive and it's very relatable for kids. Um, a perfect example of that to me is our Maundy Thursday service, which is um very interactive. So kids can wash their own, wash hands and feet. They can take communion. They can do all the things. So that they learn by doing. So does that answer your question at all, Danielle? Yeah, and I would just throw in there, and I'll give Danielle your chance to speak again. I just throw in there that I grew up with everybody goes to the same mass, all all y'all babies everybody there was no children's nothing all so (laughs) you know you're just you're just expected to if you don't get it you'll get it next year you know or whatever it's just like you sit through it and you get what you get and you hear then there there is something to it because I certainly heard over and over from the time I had memories you know the stories and the verbiage and the you know, so on. And so it's not for nothing, for sure. Um, It's just kind of like a wait until you get there philosophy and the family is together. And I definitely just burned in my brain, like seeing my parents on their knees praying, you know, so it is, it's powerful, very different. Yes. And I grew up the same way, although I grew up Missouri Synod Lutheran, not Catholic. But I did, I grew up too, where we all went to church. Um, And then there was an education hour. So then at that point, we were kind of put into our own spaces based on our age. And there are, there are times when I wish that we had that at Holy Spirit and kids could worship. I think part of this whole doing children's programming during a worship service is a disservice to the kids because then when they the children's when there is no youth programming on that Sunday because we do it differently for the youth and the children, then they don't know how to worship, right? That's and that's a problem, uh, which is why historically when we've been in church one Sunday a month, second grade and above goes to church as a class, um, mm. just so that they can learn how to worship and their parents can either sit with us or or not, and the kids can sit with their friends and they like that and that's good. It's a good reminder too when we worship all together for the older generations to realize that children aren't necessarily the future of the church, but they're the now of the church. It's good to hear the giggling. Mm. It's good to hear the dropping of the pencils. It's good to hear the, or, the baby mm. cries or the, the kid yelling no in the middle of the prayers. Um, mm-hmm. All of that is, that just tells you that your church is alive. 
Um, and right. I feel like sometimes people get so set into the, I want to hear the sermon that they forget that those distractions are the way it used to be. Right. Okay, Becky. Now I'm going to ask you a question that we could cut this out if we want, but if, if this whole COVID <laughs> thing has made me think I, I'm constantly in this mode of like, we don't have to be the same when we come back. What would it be like to build oh, back new? Right. And so my question to you would be, take Holy Spirit out of it, take the, your current in, employer out of it. If you were to transplant into a new location and you were to all of a sudden from the ground up build a church with your ministry in mind, thinking about families with, with young kids, how would you design Sunday morning. What would it look? What would your ideal church look like, or a church you'd want to at least experiment with? If you're not, you know, what would your choice be? Okay, so this part might have to get cut out. I'm just gonna okay. say it up front because I don't <laughs> want to get like We're I did have my review, nothing. so I'm good. <laughs> you don't want to get um, angry emails from parents being like, "Don't what? you dare try that," and or or please or do not that. even not even parents, but angry emails that you know. There are people that email me about the video I choose for the children's message. So I can't imagine if they are listening to this podcast. Are, are, this are, is just an imagining people in podcast imagining. world. This is imagining, a designing, what would Sunday um, morning be? Okay. So I would really like it if we could figure out how to get families to spend more than one hour at church. Um, mm. Because I would like us to not have children's programming at the same time as worship. I wish we didn't have that. I have said that for a long time. That would People who have asked me, I've been very blunt with about that. I wish that we didn't have to do that. Unfortunately, there's a lot of reasons that we do it. Um, and all of them are good. And so we still keep doing it. Um, but I wish we had worship as a family. And then we had an education time where yes, kids could still go learn about Daniel and the lion's den and the youth could talk about what that story means for them and the temptations they're faced with and what it means to be loyal to someone. And the adults could have a conversation about what it means for them, right? So that that, that would all transfer and we could all talk about the same thing. Because then when you're in the car on the way home, you can talk about what you heard today, right? Now, that what would the worship, how it works worship at all. service look like? How would it be... How would you make a worship service that's fulfilling and spiritually life-giving for a, an adult This and work for young kids? Do you envision an area for young kids? Do you envision song? How, how do you think it would, would work? So I think music is intergenerational, right? Mm -hmm. Kids are enthralled by the same music as adults are, no matter what the age of the child or the adult is, right? So music speaks to people in a variety of ways. So a variety of music is always great. I also think that visuals to go with mm. the music are helpful, especially for our littlest ones who can't actually read the words or mm. don't understand that when you're singing a song that you don't just go to the next line when they're learning to read. Like you have to skip yeah. all the way down. Like if you're following verse one, you have to skip like how many ever other verses. You have the bouncing the ball line. like in karaoke. Yeah. When you're really yeah, drunk, so it's the same thing as when you're three. Okay. So and pretty much. Like... It is. And it really and... is. It's hard. Yeah, it, it is. Hard. I can't read well, see, anymore and everything's no. busy. Right. 
Um, it's hard. So you think like the pro- I, projectors that have maybe images that are evoked by the song to kind of give the idea for fo- for kids who can't read because you can't mm-hmm. when you're listening to a song if you don't have the words in front of you I can't always tell what the actual words are. It's hard. Right. So like images, music videos, sing along with music videos. Would there yeah. like would there be activities for kids to be doing during yeah. it? So so then the other thing that we have to think about is that kids learn differently today than they did before. I'm not even going to say when, because again, I'm a teenager, so I don't really know how long ago. <laughs> Let's uh, talk about the 70s, shall we? <laughs> but when I so, read, read the House on the Prairie, they were just reciting things from memory. And, right. Like, that was yeah. how That's what Rebecca was, did. Which is different yeah. than it is now. Like, it's like, objectively, right. the, our learning styles right. have completely changed. And kids today, studies have shown that kids today still learn while they are drawing, while they are um, coloring, while they are doing things like that. If they're reading, it's different. I mean, yes, they still absorb some of what's being said, but it's the same part of the brain that reads and listens, right? So that's harder. Mm -hmm. But if you're using part of your brain to draw or color and or manipulate something, you can still use the other part of your brain to listen and you're absorbing it. And there's lots of studies out there that say that that's Kids learn best today while they're doing something with their hands because we're so used to kids doing something with their hands because of all the devices and all the things mm-hmm. that that's now, if they don't have it, they start to sometimes get really antsy, especially our older elementary kids into our middle school kids and not potentially into our youth. I'll let you speak to that, Danielle. Um, mm-hmm. So giving them something um, for the younger kids, we have what we call busy bags. And in that is like um, a children's worship bulletin um, that they can color. Or they can do the, you know, take the guy that goes and figure out where he has to go, like the, do the maze to try to figure out where mm-hmm. they have to go to the middle or whatever. Little puzzles. Word jumbles, right? Little word puzzles. We have this um, sometimes like the sliding puzzles where they have, you know, what is it? 11 pieces in there and the 12 pieces missing so you can slide the puzzle around and get to back to the picture. My kids always Anything like, like the that wiki quiet. sticks and the, the, the chenille sticks. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yep. yep. Those are great. Um, so there's a lot of options. Finger puppets are often really good too because they can be doing something but they're not making noise. Um, so I think some type of busy activity is great. Now I also think that at some age they should pay more attention to what is being said than what is in the activity bucket or bag or whatever you have Mm -hmm. but I think there needs to be different ones I've also been to congregations where I've seen the youngest kids get like a little photo book when they come in and it'll say like you know, the names of the pastors. And so then they can see, and then they, when they look up, they can see it matches. And then the next page mm. might be a picture of like the Bible that's up at the front of the church. And the next page might be the cross that's at the front of the church. And the next picture might be a picture of the stained glass window. And the next picture might be a picture of the piano or a musical instrument. And there's 10 or 12 pictures with little labels so that the parents can interact with the kids, but that mm-hmm. the kids can then do kind of like this, Kind of like your own Where's Waldo? We're like yeah, scavenger hunt. I love that. You're looking for a scavenger hunt in the church to find the item, the offering plates, the communion elements, whatever, the baptism bowl, um, yeah. to just help them be 
familiar with what's in their surroundings. And then they can read, learn those books can still be used as they grow because now they can read the words. How do you feel about the concept, and you can probably explain this better than I can, of a playground? So playground with an R, a playground. A playground. So a dedicated space where kids can be in the church that feels welcoming and yet they're still um, being, I'll use the word monitored. People use the word supervised, but that just feels really rough um, (laughs) by their family. So they're not making too much noise. I personally think that some kind of space for kids in your worship space shows the inclusivity of what you want for families. It has also be said that it is not a playground. It is a Mm -hmm. playground, right? And so setting those expectations ahead of time with your parents is also a pretty good idea. But you can have very quiet items over there that... Yes, any child can turn anything into a loud toy. Let's just I was going to say their voices are not so quiet. <laughs> right. But if you if they're reading books or they're coloring a page and they have a, a small table to color on versus trying to color on their lap in their chair, that's also uh-huh. a message yeah. that my kid is welcome in this space. I once had a kid ask me how come they never get to go in the big adult room uh-huh. because they had never been in the sanctuary. Oh, wow. And that is also hard. I I find this to be really, really, um, it's going to be super personal because I happen to really like the idea of my kids sitting next to me. They pretty much, my daughter couldn't go to, she has extreme anxiety. And so she couldn't go to the Sunday services and they sit next to me and we had their, those little Mm -hmm. books, things that you had, and they would play with those. And I like that they had to sit for an hour without getting Mm -hmm. everything that Mm -hmm. they wanted. And, um, it didn't always work. Sometimes we had to step out and do whatever and go to the potty or what have you. But um, they they pick up a lot more than you think they're going to. Yeah. You know, Pastor yeah. Mike's doing a sermon or whatever. And I can ask them later. I'm like, what did he say? And they, they have the gist of it. And not for a second did they look at him. You know? <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Now, my kids, though, are not very gregarious. They're pretty yeah. quiet kids. Mm-hmm. Um, so that worked for me right. they could they could be in a playground very easily you know mm-hmm. um that sort of thing and some kids just aren't going to be able to handle that right. and you know it's going to be a, a loud zone no matter what so yeah that's probably really more on a personal level as a parent that knowing what what your kids can handle and what they can't right but i, I also think that it's... that's communication with the families of the kids are getting loud because again if you're if you're if you in your mission statement you say you are welcoming and inclusive, then that means everyone, not just the kids who can be quiet in church. Sure, but you can't just say that that means that you can scream and run around and yell. Agreed. You know, so but again again that's it's setting those expectations and having those conversations with families and if some kid does get loud, working with that family to make it so that they don't feel like they're being called out, but yet they're also letting their kid be their kid. And sure. we still, it doesn't mean, it doesn't mean we would not have, we have a nursery down the hall for kids that would like to be louder and play. It doesn't mean we wouldn't have that if we had a playground. It just, for the families that are coming into worship, and maybe there is not a children's programming at that hour, because right now, when we were in the building, we had three 
different services and we didn't have children's programming at all of them. No one at 8 a.m. wants to be there to teach kids Bible stories because it's <laughs> too early for those parents that are trying to just get through the weekend. And so though it'd be great if those if the kids that came to that had something for them. Um, and mm-hmm. why can't we do that at all the services? That's my that's that's the question I have for everyone always is can we reimagine this and what would it look like? Hmm. My my frustration often comes, and this is just for me personally, I will often get older congregation members who wonder why there aren't more for my for my ministry, more teenagers in worship services. And I'm mm-hmm. sure for Becky you get it for children's. And but if I were to make any suggestions of altering the worship service <laughs> in any way that would make it more appealing to the younger people. The response mm. is, we don't want to change what we like for them. We want them to like what we like, which is hard. There are always going to be some children and, and youth who can work with an adult worship space well. Mm-hmm. And then there are going to be some who can't. And I would argue probably the younger you go, the, the higher the percentage are that are not going to be able to interact in the way that adults interact with an, with a, with an adult worship situation. And it's just, it's a hard balance to walk. I, I get it. I do think that it's it's a great conversation because again, we try to be like, well, why aren't, why are are people not going to church anymore? You know, why, Mm -hmm. you know, are there all these nuns check the, I'm not a religious person box. Why do people not like church, et cetera, and so on. And it's like, well, you don't keep doing the same thing and expect people Mm -hmm. to just show up at the door. You know, you need to offer something else. Um, and again, some churches are, and they have this, you know, sort of candy buffet of all the things, and yet then they may not be preaching what you like. I would argue a lot of churches are. I would argue you can probably, if you if you look hard enough, find a church that will fit just about any worship style or theology. You know, we have. I can think of Lutheran congregations that meet that before the pandemic met personally in homes, home churches mm. where it was just mm-hmm. a few, a few families and they met in homes and they developed their own thing all the way up to huge, big worship services with fancy bands and inflatables for kids. Like there are lots of options out there. And I, I think in some ways it's about finding a fit for you and finding what works for you and your kids. Yeah. It's not to- just our way or the highway. I would say. <laughs> what? <laughs> Danielle, do you know nothing about our podcast? <laughs> no, I'm, I I want to wrap it up and but I have one let's wrap it up with a big question to you Becky is um if there was one reason what is the one number one reason that parents should involve their children in some sort of children's ministry program and I love the term ministry because it means to minister when you minister bodily it's a healing it's a Mm -hmm. giving of over of someone so I'm kind of hot on this ministry you know word now (laughs) Um, so what is the number one reason to attend and participate into in children's ministry Uh, I can sum that up in one word Rebecca and it's called community and being in relationship with other people um, and by doing that, you also be build a relationship with God. And those are all great things that everyone needs. And the more time we spend 
in our houses right now with COVID-19 and with just our families, the more I hear from families how much they need community. They, they want kids to go back to school. They want to go hang out with their friends. They want to go to church, even if that means we can't sing still. I'm starting to hear whisperings of like, can we just go back to church a little bit? They want to, their kids to play soccer and not just practice or play baseball or do gymnastics or play whatever the sport is of the day. Um, they want to be with other people. And that is what church is. Great. Thank you so much for coming and revealing all the knowledge that you have. It was a great conversation. I want to tell the listeners out there to subscribe to us, rank us highly on whatever mm -hmm. platform you're on, write to us, let us know what your experience was with children's ministry. If you had any um, challenging Christianity podcast at gmail.org. And thank you so much for listening. We'll see you next time. <laughs>